0: Leadership is a primary extension of God's first commission for humanity to rule in His image. Because the world had different ideas about how to lead, Jesus came to model what kingdom leadership looks like. So join me, Julie Lefevre, and my team of rotating co-hosts as we seek to encourage and equip kingdom leadership on earth as it is in heaven. Welcome to the Kingdom Leadership Podcast. This is Julie Lefever, and today I get to welcome my whole team of co-hosts back to the show. Chuck, Jimmy, and Dave are all here, and yeah. I'm excited to hear from each of them. God. Hello. Hello. Hey, everyone. It's good to be here. Yeah. So maybe we could do a quick round the table. Tell us about your week. Tell us something that, I don't know, you're excited you about, all, or you did, or... You
1: all know I like to talk, so I'll just go first. I'm okay with that. I'm <laughs> embracing out. it um and i just said uh before this i said hey there's like five things i could say and then i just now realized the thing that's on my mind most right now is the fact that i just put in my second set of invisaligns and so there's a (laughs) lot of pressure on my teeth right now Uh... and i don't know if you guys have had like just constant tooth pain or that kind (laughs) of the feeling of Mm. mouth soreness but uh i i took two ibuprofen and i I put, when I put them in and I'm glad I did, I feel probably a little better than I would have, but uh, I'm really excited about the next 46 weeks of this, I guess. And so that, that's was on my mind just now. I was like, I'm feeling a little, also I may lisp a little bit if I do, it's because of the new retainers. So,
2: so much grace. Where yeah. Thank you. you. Wow. Okay. I don't know how to follow that. <laughs> it doesn't have to connect. It's oh. all right. Look, I, I, The thing that made me the most excited this week is that our library reopened after nearly Mm -hmm. a year of being closed. So even I remember
0: that being traumatic for you. It was very traumatic for me. Mm -hmm.
2: I got a huge stack of books from the library the day that it closed. (laughs) Um, And so I was there as soon as I could be, Monday morning when it opened. And then after I picked up my kids from school, they wanted to go back. Then the next day, I thought maybe I should go to another branch. Then my kids wanted to go back again.
1: Are you like patron of the month? Like, do they have that, your picture on the wall? I should have my own parking spot. You should.
0: You should. It's amazing. (laughs) Well, we're glad that you're here. Dave.
1: Yeah.
3: uh, This week, bowling season ended for my son's school and tennis season began. So he switched sports and we're looking forward to figuring out his placement on the team and whether or not he's going to get a play with the varsity and all those questions. We're just leaning into him and looking forward to to figuring out the semester or the rest of the, the semester, I should say.
0: Yeah. Cool. It's kind of nice that things are continuing because mm-hmm. a year ago, right. they were stopping. They were stopping right. Shut so. him down. Yay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, today I feel, I don't know. I feel a little bit emotional. I know that this is going to air a little bit later in the month, but today is our son's last day of high school, mm, so wow. I, it just feels like a momentous Go day. Jackson. I have the mom things happening yeah. in my heart. Like, oh, yeah, so if absolutely. I burst into tears, that's why
2: <laughs> we're oh, saying
0: goodbye. Oh, well. Today, uh, we are excited to all be here because we're going to be having a conversation about the book that our ch- our staff chose to read this winter. And we read Scott Saul's A Gentle Answer, Our Secret Weapon in an Age of Us Against Them. And I just want to say that Scott's perspective has really challenged us as a staff, mm-hmm. and we're just excited to share some of the conversations that we've had together with all of you today but before we do that we always start our podcast by recalling how we have experienced grace recently so i just thought i'd open it up uh, how have yeah has anyone experienced grace recently
1: yeah the book was so timely for me in the season of remodel in the sanctuary mm. because um what it's what it's helped me recognize is the the dire need for grace at every step along the way. So there's like 10 different people constantly engaged in this project, all doing different things at different times that kind mm-hmm. of affect each other, making decisions.
0: There have been a lot of moving parts. A
1: ton. And what's been awesome for me is even the the guys who've stepped in or the gals who stepped in that, and we didn't all know each other super well. Some knew each other better than others. And it's been beautiful for me to see the community of Christ at Westridge come together and on a regular daily basis, have to show one another grace um, as every decision's made, and so someone's opinion didn't, you know, maybe win, mm-hmm. right? And so yeah. that that's a little bit of sensitivity there. You sure. know, it's just been sweet for me to see how everyone has communicated through this process, and it's been even sweeter how much grace the guys I'm leading on the tech side, Dave and Eric, uh, and really Casey and Noel, even. Um, yeah and Randy have all shown me uh, grace as I've dropped the ball a few times or not gotten something done in time, or it's just been sweet. There's been no pressure,
0: Mm
1: -hmm. Um, even though there's always a little pressure because it's a project. Sure, Um,
0: Things are moving forward. We're still doing church. We're still having Mm -hmm. to live stream and get sound and things don't always go perfectly. And in those moments, you feel maybe like, uh, ah, people feel frustration and that's okay. But then it's been a space where that's been covered you know, even with Even one
1: time, I think we came back to a subject matter just to clear things up a little bit better. Mm. And it was sweet and it was good. And we're, we're just all in a good space. And that's uncommon, I think. And yeah. it's because of grace.
0: Mm. Well, I love that. Well, that's just a great lead-in to a gentle answer. And this book really uh, just talks about how or it really addresses the climate of the past year and how our world has just created this culture of us against them. And so Saul writes that outrage sells that hate has been commodified. It's been turned into an asset. Interestingly, he wrote this before COVID happened, before all of the elections, before all of that. And I heard an interview with him and he said he was kind of looking ahead to election year and just kind of assuming this might become an issue. And I think he was right. And so he explains that on some level, we are all engaged in the seemingly insatiable, ubiquitous theme of us against them. The whole idea of being for something has gone out of style. And instead we prefer to preach an angry gospel about whatever we have decided to stand against. And so I thought it might be helpful to just talk a little bit about how have we seen this play out in our culture lately? How how do you see this us against them, this being against, this angry gospel of against playing out?
1: Yeah, so for Lent, I've given up some of the social media stuff, and mm-hmm. so— um, I I'll occasionally see a headline in on an email and I'll send it to Sasha and say, read this article and tell me about it later. And so, um, I didn't receive this one, but she was just going through her emails and saying, you want to hear some news? And I was like, sure. Um, so she was catching me up on the world. And she had just mentioned the equality act currently had having passed the house and moving to the Senate. And, uh, you know, I was asking her again, you know, some specific questions about what was in, uh, in the equality act and, that was a concern. And, and it, I say that because it was a bit, an email from Franklin Graham and his, um, association. And he was just saying, you gotta go talk to your senators right now and tell them to vote against this because of the ramifications of what it's going to do to the religious organizations, to schools, to businesses. And I mean, um, there's a lot in it that, that I think is cause for concern. And, um, for me, it was just a good example of one of those moments in my heart where i'm going man i i want st- to i do want to stand against those things in a way because i my value lo- system doesn't line up with that completely, and yet it feels harsh and like just another thing that we're being asked to be against as believers, and it casts a shadow on us as against and so well,
0: and it seems like we're always asked to call when you're against something but how many times do we call to say i'm for something and so yeah, yeah it just uh, it, it it's a good example
3: one of the things i've been thinking about it really is more than just politics we're thinking about a culture that is taking root and growing in our country so you know politics is part of culture but so's media so's entertainment mm-hmm. and education and the reality is We're supposed to be involved with God's kingdom coming on earth as it is in heaven. So if the goal is for God's kingdom to come, the goal is for something to emerge, for something to become visible, to develop, to grow, or you you might say to incarnate, something to take on flesh, something people can see. And as I read Saul's book... I started resonating with the fact that you can only score when you're playing offense. You can only score when you have the ball. And so constant defensive measures never advance uh, the kingdom of God or the Mm. purpose of the gospel. And so Jesus, as he did things and as he incarnated God's love here on earth, is supposed to be our example and so it makes me think we we've got to do more than simply be against we have to find ways to to be for and to do and to dream and to conceive yeah
0: yeah and it just seems like our world right now has gotten off balance and it's it it does feel like we're all against mm-hmm. it's it just feels extreme
2: yeah and i think when we're all against there's no time for doing what they was mm-hmm. just talking right. about but right if our focus was on tending our garden mm. there's not nearly as much time to to be against and to fight over other things if we really are building and becoming and moving towards something
0: yeah and i want to be clear again we're not saying that you can't be against i mean of course right. we're you know being for right. some things means that we're against but when our primary mode of communication is is critique and i'm speaking as somebody who is so guilty of that it's so much easier to point out what's wrong and what i don't like over trying to build bridges mm. and um and and build new things but if that's our primary mode of communication then mm. exactly what you said dave it's just not it's not going to work it's not going to b- bring about kingdom and i think we've even seen that in the the church, the big C church that, you know, so many podcasts and articles and posts are always these condom. I shouldn't use the word always. I'm going to try not to do that. I retract that word, but so often it's a condemnation of something instead of Mm -hmm. pursuing or putting out what could be the good replacement. So. Well, and I think that's where a little bit this book has been so helpful because Saul's challenges this status quo of being so against by looking or inviting us to look at how Jesus responded to this tendency. Because really this isn't something new. Our world of us against them isn't a new phenomenon. It does feel like it's it has maybe been more highlighted this past year with all of the extra pressures But if you think about the world that Jesus lived in and ministered to, it was a world of us against them. Just the nature of the Israelites, the Jewish people trying to remain separate and the way that the Pharisees were leading and all of the rules of of things that they were Mm -hmm. against. He was speaking to a world of us against them. And so Saul just encourages us to look at how Jesus uh, be friends, the sinner in us about how Jesus reforms the Pharisee and disarms the cynic in us. And so we find in Jesus, not only an example, but the transformative resource that can inspire and empower gentleness in us. So we want to take time this morning to address each of those tendencies that Jesus touches when we invite him into this process. So Let's start with how Christ befriends the sinner in us how what what stuck out to you, Chuck, about just how Jesus addresses that part of us?
1: Yeah, I love that um it's the it's the overarching feel I think that we seek to have in at Westridge recovery mm. is that um, uh, we are all sinners, and uh, it's his saving grace that invites us in to be able to be vulnerable enough, vulnerable enough to tell. You know those those deepest darkest secrets to talk about the things that bring us most shame, and so being um, a
0: sinner doesn't disqualify you. It actually qualifies, yeah. Yeah.
1: And so you know the the Pharisees, you know, I wrote, uh, I read on on page five. I loved. uh, He just said, you know, hey, the Pharisees and scribes, they they said this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. You know, it was like an accusation (laughs) that they were (laughs) shame uh, on. And he's going, yeah, that's exactly right. And so. One one of the key concepts in this chapter for me was just a, this simple idea that uh, Christ se- knew and celebrated each individual person's um, value, their worth. Yeah, and there was no uh, so it, it like he took all the categories away. There was no nothing that separated people in his mind um, in so many respects. Um, one of the things that, uh, that just in that same vein spoke to me, uh, Saul says, Christ turned his attention to those accustomed to being ignored, mistreated, discarded, and despised by the general public. If you were sick, poor, sexually damaged, or paralyzed by guilt and shame, for example, Jesus would move toward you and tell you what nobody else would, and that's that you matter. Mm. And uh, it gives me goosebumps uh, because it's what I've experienced as I've um, dwelled with Christ as I just sit in what he speaks over me as I as I meditate on Scripture and look at his life. it's what the gospel tells me is that I matter to him mm. and uh, and my sin doesn't disqualify me from that but it qualifies me for receiving his grace.
0: Yeah
3: one of the things that impressed me is Saul's his insistence on the order. it's the order that Jesus, Took with his thoughts when he, he basically stood in the gap and protected this woman who had been caught in adultery. Hmm. And he asked her an interesting question. After everyone had walked away, after Jesus had humiliated all of her attackers, he said, has no one condemned you? And then he says, neither do I condemn you. And he said, go on your way and sin no more. And Saul's is so insistent that that order is critical to the process of reaching people and initiating life change. He said when you get the orders backwards, when you begin with go on your way and sin no more, and then say, neither do I condemn you, but you say it after the fact, that it loses some power in the life of those who feel condemned, misfits, or at least those who think think of themselves as misfits. And so it was pretty profound to think of that in terms of the order and the implications of the order in those two statements of Jesus.
0: Yeah, and it just makes sense because we know that our, our most primary need is to be accepted, to be loved, ultimately by God, but, but also by people who are able to be significant communicators of what mm. God does for us. And that's what Jesus did. He said, I accept you. And what you did is secondary. Your value mm-hmm. lies in who you are yeah. because I'm the one that created you. I'm going to, in her case, going to sacrifice for you. I'm going to pay the price. So you, your value is, is set. And anything you do can't change that. Mm-hmm. So, yeah.
1: Yeah. Saul's in that first chapter, he writes, Jesus wants to love you just as much as he wants to change you. That, <laughs> well, that, that wow. I, I mean, then they've gave the example of how he did that and what order. And uh, I mean, it. that's profound. If mm-hmm. I would sit with that for a minute um, if you haven't uh, ever considered it. As a leader, do you believe that Jesus wants to love you as much as he wants to change you? Mm-hmm. It's not something yeah. that I, I wake up and just do naturally, I have to lean in and engage that. And it's that love and acceptance and grace that leads me to a willingness to repentance and to confession and to change.
2: I think one of the things that stood out to me from this chapter that I feel like then um, just carried through the whole book, um, he says on page 10, Jesus and Christianity do not discriminate between good people and bad people. Instead, Jesus and Christianity discriminate between humble people and proud people. It just Mm -hmm. felt like that theme ran through the whole book then that that's, yeah, yeah, that are, and I'm a person who wants to be good, but then you read (sighs) that and you're like, oh, but I need to be a person who wants to be humble. Humble. Mm -hmm. And that's challenging to me.
0: And it just makes me wonder, how would this then change our output? our primary modes of communication. And we were talking about that when that gets off balance and we're only communicating that we're against, how could you even communicate that maybe this isn't, I am kind of against the, I am against this, but in a way that communicates first that I'm for people. And so, so often I think sometimes our critique of an action can turn into a critique of a people of of right. of a of the humanity of people, right. And that's where it gets hard. And so, as we read through this and talk through this this book, just, yeah, I would love for us to even come back at the end and just think about how could we how how do these things change the way we communicate? Yeah. Well, Saul's also helps us to understand how Jesus reforms the Pharisee in us. So, Very different. You know, we've already mentioned the Pharisee. And to clarify, it's just interesting because we know this chapter is for us when we think or say things like, I think I can skip this chapter, or I'm better than thinking that I'm better than others. (laughs) You know, how many times do we become what we have most criticized in others? It's just so easy to judge the Pharisees of the New Testament. But I think if we're honest, we all struggle with very similar tendencies. So, yeah, what what stuck out to you guys about how Jesus reforms the Pharisee in us?
3: If you just read the New Testament as a book or as kind of an anthology, you notice immediately that the people— Jesus had the greatest conflict with were the religious leaders, and in particular the Pharisees of his day. They become the foil against which Jesus takes on uh, content and life, against which he becomes light in the darkness. So, it's just interesting that it isn't usually the sinners. In fact, the sinners were the people who he was attracted to, and who benefited most from his presence in ministry. And I like the quote that Sauls makes on page 33. He's talking about the people Jesus came to befriend. He writes, Little children, prostitutes, tax collectors, sinners, people who lacked education, the poor, the sick, and the unemployed, lepers, crooks, addicts, people with disabilities and special needs, the elderly and the misfits— He writes, they all felt worse and more burdened after encountering the scribes and Pharisees, but they Mm -hmm. felt better, less burdened after encountering Jesus. And I I find that profound, and I find it something that, as a church staff member, I have to lean against constantly in order to uh, remain aligned or to realign with who Jesus was.
2: He follows that with I think such a powerful statement. He said when Jesus spent time with humble and or hurting people, they would feel seen, dignified, esteemed, loved, and hopeful. So good. Oh, I just if that could be on your, you know, tombstone one day, Mm -hmm. like what an incredible. Yeah. Yeah. And it's challenging as
0: leaders in a religious arena. You know, we should really be taking note. And are we able to help others are we considering others and helping them to feel seen dignified esteemed loved full of hope uh, is are we leading in a way that pours into people or so often I think I start leading out of my insecurities mm-hmm. and I start thinking I need to be seen I need to be dignified yeah. I need to be you know and so you start uh, seeking things for yourself. It's a self-centered leadership instead of an other-centered leadership.
1: He says uh, "He says that the Pharisees, rather than letting themselves be handled by the word of God, mm. they presumed themselves to be the handlers of the word of God. Mm. And when I think about that um, and what that speaks to me, it it's just constant. Um, it, it encourages me to continually submit myself to the word before I ever think I could sit with someone and, and utilize the word of God in their life. Like I have to be obedient to what the scripture is telling me every day in order to um, gently lead people to uh, his truths. It's, it's just gotta be.
2: Yeah.
0: Yeah. We've been talking about it. We're really, we're not the originators. We're the receivers from God to then steward out. Mm-hmm. And so as soon as we start trying to be the source, it goes bad very quickly because we're not we're not capable yeah. of that. We've got to receive from Christ first and then steward that.
1: And I think it comes out in worship for me. Mm-hmm. Um I mean this isn't a prideful statement now that I now that I think about what I'm about to say. I'm like, man that could kind of come across as prideful, but <laughs> You know, I find myself so often, often finishing the worship set on Sunday morning and realizing that the room is full of people, which is, that's where I need to be from it's, I'm leading you all, um, in song. And yet, sure. um, I focus probably more and I don't know whether this is good or not, but on my own heart and, um, what he's speaking to me through those words or what I'm saying to him, what I'm confessing to him or proclaiming about him, it moves me. And so if it looks like I'm, I'm distracted, it's probably because I'm focused on him.
2: One of the other things from this chapter that stood out to me and I've just continued to think about since I read it, early in the chapter, he's talking about the early church. He says the early Christians lived and loved so remarkably among their neighbors that they were having favor with all the people. Mm. And I just, that, especially in our world of, of us against them, that feels impossible. But even when he talked about what life was like then, it's not that it was that different from now. There were opposing forces. It wasn't like it was easier to do that then than it is now. But that just challenges me to live in such a way that I would have favor with all people. It's good.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what would it look like for me? Yeah. You know, what, what does that take? You know, what does that look like for me to live in a way that would ultimately, it goes back to what we had talked about. It, it really is an other centered mm-hmm. way of living where I'm pouring into people, uh, dignity and hope and love and grace. And Yeah. And then them, yeah, responding likewise. Well, finally, uh, Jesus disarms the cynic in us. Fear has led to, I think, so much suspicion and skepticism in our world, and including in the church. And in some ways, I think it just feels safer to people to be a cynic, to be somebody who's questioning anyone and everything right now. And sometimes that brings with it this spirit of judging and condemning anything that seems out of order with what God ordains. And again, we're not saying that we shouldn't draw some lines, but I think it's so helpful to look at how Jesus did that, how he approached the brokenness of
2: our world in a way that still was full of gentleness. Yeah, I think the thing in chapter three in this chapter, he talks about Nathaniel, and I don't think I had ever heard Nathaniel's story mm-hmm. told this way. He yeah. calls him the reluctant oppositional disciple, and that's he, quite a title. Yes, yeah. not that, one you really is that want. A, <laughs> is that an
0: official diagnosis? <laughs> <laughs>
2: um, but it, it was interesting just to see um, how he took that story and kind of showed our showed us our own cynicism through it, our own skepticism. Um, and our own, just our resistance to this idea of a gentle deliverer. And so he Mm -hmm. says on 58, the notion of a gentle deliverer, of one who loves his enemies instead of destroying them, of one who endeavors to bring reconciliation between not only a holy God and sinful people, but between those people themselves seemed inconceivable. You know, That's not what the people were looking for, but that's who Jesus came to be.
3: That's so good. My whole life I've wrestled with The way Jesus treated the poor, the powerless, those who are disenfranchised, and I've wrestled with that and the way the church has responded, because it seems to me that so often the church responds by finding a reason why helping that individual would be inappropriate. And so, the lifestyle of Jesus gets lost in all kinds of excuses, like... um, if a man will not work, he shall not eat. Or if you give them money, they'll just spend it on their addiction. Or we don't want to reinforce bad behavior. Just all kinds of interesting ways of cynically, maybe, faithlessly um, excusing ourselves from any broader responsibility to look or walk or act like Jesus. And so, I liked what Saul's wrote. It's on page 55. He's talking about the Pharisees again, and he's talking about their perspective on helping people and and that they can't help people or they don't uh, help people because they were too busy separating the world between the good people and the bad people, the saints and the sinners, the virtuous and the scumbags, the insiders and the outsiders, the worthy and the unworthy. Meanwhile, Jesus was hanging out with befriending and welcoming religious society's choice rejects thereby separating the world between the proud and the humble and it was just such a kind of helpful acknowledgement of the wrestling match I've had all my life I appreciate it in in the, you know the whole idea of reforming the cynic within
0: You know I think it's so interesting then when when we get so focused on, yeah, separating people into the categories of the good and the bad that we get so focused on what people are doing. And then it does kind of tend to lead us into the space of either they can't change or I am against that. And it's hard for us to keep that perspective that I'm trying to win them (laughs) to right. something good. I'm mm-hmm. trying to win them to what I believe is life to the full in a life with Jesus. And so I think it's just interesting how categorizing people and labeling them as good and bad and and doing that kind of distracts us from remembering the ultimate goal, which is to be a light and yeah. to invite people into things.
1: I think many people have come to salvation through shame and guilt. Mm. Um, and even, you know, the shame theology, I think that's, that's been utilized in churches over the years. He poses a question in this chapter that, that struck me, uh, because that was diff. It was different for me. I fell in love with Jesus. Uh, uh, and I, well, okay. So I accepted him because of the guilt that led to, to salvation really, Mm -hmm. you know, I, I knew I, I, on my own effort, I couldn't overcome these things in my life. And, um, so that did lead me to salvation. And yet he asked this question that strikes me. Have you ever met a person who says they fell in love with Jesus because a religious person or a group of religious people scolded them for their morals, mm. their ethics, and their lifestyle choices? Mm. And the obvious answer is no. No one falls in love with Jesus because of
0: that. Yeah. They and might so, feel manipulated into following. Yeah. yeah sure. Is that falling in love. He wants people who right. love him.
1: Yeah. And it was—I uh, mean, it took years. Well, I mean, it's, it's still I'm st-
0: forever. I, I'm still
1: converting. Right? I mean, you know, it's a constant conversion. I think in our hearts. Of, but I just mean, uh, for me, uh, when I lead my group members or when I'm sitting with someone, it's just something that's really stuck with me this last month. Um, recognizing that if I'm, if the goal is that they fall more deeply in love with Jesus, and and reside with him be with him dwell mm-hmm. with him it is not going to come through scorning and shaming their their ethics or their lifestyle choices
3: we all have a friend named Vince and yeah. everyone at the table here
1: hi and, vince and hi vince vince.
3: <laughs> vince has been talking to me about his desire to build a tiny home in his backyard so that every time he sees someone on the street every time he sees someone homeless he can just put him in his car Drive him to his house and offer him this tiny home to live in for as long as they need. and uh, you know, inside I had about a thousand different reasons why that wouldn't work in my mind, <sighs> yeah, and i I didn't you know I didn't express them because at the same time as I was thinking up all these cynical reasons why it could never work, <laughs> yeah. I also was thinking. But we're supposed to be a people who walk by faith. We're supposed to live by faith and not by sight. Mm -hmm. And who had the more, you know, who had more faith in that transaction, Vince or me? And obviously Mm -hmm. it's Vince. And recognizing, you know, really tough things may happen with a certain, you know, a, a, a setup like that. But at the same time, how else will we see God move? If we don't reform the cynic yeah. within and step out in faith, if we don't ever get out of the boat, how will we ever experience him? And so it just came through in this chapter loud and clear. Yeah. Well, we
0: could, we've could. we been talking about this book for lots of weeks. We've taken a chapter a week, and and so we could probably keep going on and on and on about this, but... Uh, we we do have to honor your time. And so mm-hmm. we do like to wrap up our primary conversations by considering how can we become like Jesus so that we can lead like him. And today we've taken time to zoom in on the gentleness of Jesus and how that has impacted our world. And so we want to end now by talking through how, how do we take on this same gentleness in our lives. How does the gentleness of Jesus change us and help us to lead out of gentleness instead of
2: outrage? You no, know, the second part of the book is titled, How His Gentleness Changes Us. And he's, he included a verse that I don't think I'd ever noticed before. It's Psalm 1835 says, you have given me the shield of your salvation and your right hand supported me and your gentleness made me great. Mm. It's like, wow. Like just the power of his gentleness to change us.
1: That's beautiful. You know, I think the the common one for me every week is that humility looks like sitting, um, with the other person in the room and recognizing that they are no different than me. Like there's really no mm. difference. And, um, Christ loves them equally and, um, they are the professional on them. And so I'm not, so I'm humbling myself and I'm saying, God, just by your spirit, show me how to interact with them, how to, to be gentle with them, how to love them. And so, uh, what it's done is freed me up to sit with people who have very different opinions and ideas, um, than I do. They think and act differently even. And I mean like dramatic extremes sometimes. And I can still genuinely say, I love you, and I'm for you, and I'm with you, and I want to know you and because you're worthy of being known.
3: In my own life, thinking about this book and the topics in this book has helped me have a lessened appetite, a diminished appetite for a harsh answer. And so many of the harsh responses that were attractive before thinking through some of these issues, they're no longer attractive. And so it kind of reduces the harsh content that I take in, whether it be uh, radio programming, podcasts, or just harsh answer sources that are in our world today. Mm-hmm. As I listen to less, I become a less harsh person and have more creativity in offering gentle answers. And people respond better, which is another source of reinforcement. And you actually kind of get to see your life move uh, along the continuum to where people people are getting healed around you. Yeah. Maybe not healed of physical diseases, but you recognize that God is using a gentle answer to invite people to mm-hmm. deeper more meaningful and transformative relationships with him. So that's just, that's been one way that I think I've been able to take on his gentleness. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, I think I've just been so impressed with the idea that, you know, input produces output. And so for me, you know, it, my output, my being able to be gentle in uh, toward others is so dependent on receiving the gentleness of Jesus myself. So, you know, how many, how many minutes of my day am I listening to and receiving the ways that he's been gentle with me compared to all of the other voices that are out there? Because we've already said so many of the voices out there are harsh. They're, they're, (laughs) representative of the, <clears throat> excuse me, of the us against them culture right now of the outrage culture, we are bombarded by that. And so if I'm not counteracting that with the voice of Jesus, either through his word, through time with him, through time with his people who are able to communicate it with me, then it just seems like I struggle so much more to be able to do that, um, So for me, it's just so dependent on receiving it
2: first. Yeah, I agree. I was thinking, uh, he has a line in the book where he says, in order to give a gentle answer, we must first believe we have received a gentle Mm -hmm. answer. Mm -hmm. And I think as we're settled in that, and it's, I see how so much of my harshness or my defensiveness or my response to critique comes out of this insecurity. But if I have the security of his gentleness, I can... Yeah, I can behave much differently towards people that I um, maybe feel some conflict with, or um, yeah, just it it changes the way I treat people when I believe in His gentleness. Absolutely,
3: it's like the law of sowing and reaping. I think mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, garbage in, garbage out; mm-hmm. harsh in, harsh out; gentle in, gentle out; grace in, grace right. out.
0: Well, it seems as if becoming like Jesus again, just depends on being with him enough to be assured that we're safe with him, that there is no condemnation for us, uh, that he already loves and cares for us. So we don't need, it's not our job to defend an issue to the point of outrage, right? Mm -hmm. Jesus didn't do that. If anyone had a right to Mm -hmm. defend, if anyone knew the right thing, if anyone was you know, determined to make sure people were thinking and saying and doing the right things. It was Jesus, but he just didn't respond that way. And so uh, we have the opportunity to trust him because nothing happens here on earth that surprises him. He already knows, and he already has a plan that is good. And instead of hate or anger or outrage, We really can just rest in his grace filled plan and live out the love and kindness that we see in Jesus. We can forgive. (laughs) We can move toward people who have different ideas. Moving toward them doesn't mean that we embrace their ideas, but it does mean that we can embrace them Mm -hmm. as fellow image bearers of God. And so Paul reminds us in Romans 2 4, that it is God's kindness that leads us to repentance. And so it's just our hope that as leaders here at Westridge, that we would be stewards of his kindness and that we would be able to grow in leading those around us to consider and then even move toward the gentleness of God so that they can communicate the gentleness of God to those around them. So everyone, we just are grateful for this opportunity to have this conversation with you. Thank you for joining us. We hope you'll join us again next time. And so in the meantime, may His kingdom come on earth
2: as it is in heaven. This show is part of the ICT Podcast Network. For more information, visit ictpod.net.